The League presents Electric People. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Electric People. Super excited about our guest today. Childhood friend and now Green Bay Packer defensive line and run coordinator coach, Jerry Montgomery. Uh, Jerry, man, it's been 20-something years. Yeah, it's been a while. 20-something years, that's crazy. Well, dude, I really appreciate you letting us come and, uh, you know, crash Lambeau Field uh, for a night. And uh, we're going to pick your brain a little bit. Yeah, let's do so, it. Hey, man, immediately. Well, I'd never been to Lambeau Field before. You gave us, like, the the brief, like, super tour. Unreal. Sprinklers turned on while we are out Spring, there and yeah. everything. Uh, yeah, this I did place a, is incredible, man. I crushed the yeah. Lambeau Leap. Well, I don't... Well, Run the run it. Okay, you guys judge whether or not he crushed the Lambo lead. <laughs> yep. Uh, all right. So I'm just gonna get right into it, Jerry. First question: um, What was it like being six three, two eighty, as a seventh grader uh, playing for the Hillcrest High Mighty Huskies back in the day? <laughs> Yeah, you know what? I, I was blessed to have size, and on top of size, I, I was athletic, right? Really? So, um, don't mean to self suck, but just uh, <laughs> dude, Ty, no, he's doing it as he was. Let me just say, he like, was a seventh grader, and he was literally over six feet tall. I, I, I was. I haven't grown height wise since seventh grade, so I, I was six three. Whew. And probably about two forty five at the time. What kind, of shoe size, what kind of shoes has you rocking? Uh, 14. So, Oof. but when I was 13, I wore 13. When I turned 14, I wore 14. So I, I had my spurt early. Yeah, man. You know, and, uh, could, could dunk a basketball in eighth grade. So, you know, you just run through. I mean, people. this kid, yeah. So imagine like a full grown man, just, I mean, my daughter's in sixth grade. So I'm like, I have, you know, yeah. middle school kids around my house all the yeah. time. Yeah. And him just mowing. You want to know something out. funny. So when I was in seventh grade, I wrestled. Oh boy. <laughs> and and I didn't have any matches. I was wrestling at 72 pounds. So I, you literally were like, you know, quite a bit bigger than Three, me. Three, four of you. Yeah. And uh, they the coach came out one time. He's like, hey, I don't have a match for you, but if you can fit into this 66 pounder singlet, you can wrestle. So you're looking at the Kylo <laughs> Junior High undefeated 66 pound <laughs> oh, wrestle boy. champion from yeah. like 1994. But dude, that's, yeah, that's an incredible advantage at that age, right? Yeah, just, you know, was, was, no, blessed. we would, so Jerry played a year younger than me in Little League. And um, so their games were always right before our games. And so we would, as we're warming up, we would just watch Jerry on the field and he'd literally just be like standing up <laughs> and there's just no one came past his chest. <laughs> And he would literally play D-line because you're X. Like, you get a big X on your helmet when you're over the weight limit, right? And he would just play nose guard and literally just, like, swiping kids out of the way. And then, like, running down the fastest kid on the team. Like, it was insane. It, it was fun. Like I said, I, I, I was <laughs> fun for you. <laughs> blessed and gifted. So, uh, thank my mom and dad. For that. Yeah. yeah. It's like so. just when these kids are like, how do these, where do these NFL guys come from? There's, like, one of Jerry in, like, each state. And then they just sort of like <laughs> they piece them together. Yeah. A lot, lot more of them in the up. south. Yeah, but yeah, yeah absolutely. South, yeah, so that's cool. So from high school, um, obviously star player in high school, and then you go on to college, Iowa. Yep, University right? of Iowa. Um, yep. Played nose tackle and there. Is that where you said your son's going? Yeah, my son uh, committed to play there. He signed a scholarship. He'll be there in June, so he'll graduate here. Matter of fact, graduates June 12th, reports June 12th. So mm. we'll go graduation the next day. We'll drop them off. How does that City. feel, though, that your son gets to go play at you, you know what? It was, uh, he had some other <laughs> options. He had Ivy League schools, which I did not. I was not uh, as, as smart as that young man is. But 
Um, he had options and, and was born in the hospital across the street. So uh, he was blessed to get the opportunity. And once he was offered, he took it right away. How he cool. knew where he wanted to be. So. Yeah. That's cool. How cool. That is cool. So um, you play Iowa. You had a brief stint in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And then um, how did you get into coaching? Yeah, so um, do you remember uh, gym teacher, Mr. Landry? Of course. Right? Yeah. Uh, the, the Adidas sweatsuit. Yeah. So it's wild because I remember being from in— From Union? From Union Middle School. Okay. I remember— Shout out to Mr. Union what's his Mil- name? No, Mr. Never missed a free throw with that guy, by yeah, the way. Yeah, yeah. And could <laughs> shoot underhand. Yeah. yeah. He was skillful. But I, I knew at that time— Him that, and Coach Stout— him and Coach Stout. Yep. yep. Landry We're bringing cool. them all back. Landry's so. the, shout out to Mr. Landry, yeah. man. <laughs> all right. So Landry. Yeah. So so I just knew in middle school, I'm like, you know, I'd like to be a phys ed teacher and coach sports. You know, I just knew that at that time. Leaving middle school, going to high school. Like he was the guy that made me want to be a phys ed teacher mm. and coach. Right. So, um, I get done playing. I get cut from the Saints. I come back and uh, I call my D-line coach and I have a semester left of school to finish up. He's like, you know, why don't you just come back and be a student assistant? And uh, he goes, you know, you know the fundamentals. Come back and help me. So I come back. I finish up my semester of school. Um, It's the 2002 season where we went to the Orange Bowl. And um, basically was a student assistant with uh, the staff there in Iowa City. And, you know, it was like I had been coaching my whole life. Mm. Um, and Coach Aiken told me, he's like, you know, Jerry, you're, you're really good at this. You know, y- you might want to stick around and do this. And so I, I get done, and then I'm kind of bouncing around. I go work out for the Buffalo Bills, um, get cut there. I'm playing arena football. At the time, it was called the AFL. So I was with the Chicago Rush, Colorado Crush for John Elway's team, and uh, the Las Vegas team and then we kind of had some issues uh family wise my wife uh she had a you know a miscarriage mm. one of our sons was a twin and we lost the other one and at the time we thought we had lost we didn't know they were twins so it, it oh miscarriage. so long story short i'm like you know what time for me to just come back and start you know the real world so we come back and uh i immediately reach out to some of my college teammates and immediately get into cells so i start doing medical sales interviews, pharmaceutical sales, and I, I get a job offer from Stryker, okay? So I go through the interview process, um, do this crazy phone interview deal, um, and then uh, get the job, and then my D-line coach calls me literally the next day and says, hey, Jerry, I got an opportunity for you, um, the junior college coaching job, um, uh, $1,500 stipend, free room and board, he goes, this is something. He goes, you're a coach. This is who you are. And I said, coach, I just got a six-figure salary base plus commission to go work for Stryker. And he goes, Jerry, I'm telling you, this is what you need to do. So my explain D-line the, coach. Explain the stipend. 1500 bucks like a month? No. A $1,500 stipend, period. Free room and board in the dorm. And then obviously I got to go home in the summer and, and be with my family. Dang. What a choice, man. To be real honest with you, I, I my D-line coach told me, he goes, you're going to be really good at this. You'll move up quick. He goes, you're very knowledgeable. Uh, you were a sponge as a player. Mm-hmm. And the short time I had you, you're going to be really good at this. So Ron Aiken, 
um, who went on to coach uh, for the Arizona Cardinals when they had their Super Bowl run. They didn't win it, but um, he just told me this is what you need to do. So I talked to my wife and my wife had a job uh, and she's just like, you know, I'll support you, whatever you want to do. So if this is what you want to do, let's do it. And uh, so that was cool. And long story short, me, I take the job. I go for a spring, uh, spring semester, have their sum- summer off. I get called from NFL Europe. All right, Jerry, we want you to go. And, you know, uh, Don Eck was his name. He was actually an assistant at Utah when I was growing up. Mm. But he was uh, head coach on one of the NFL Europe teams, reached out to me and said, hey, want you to come. Training camp starts in about a month. And then I go to my wife. I'm like, hey, I want to go do this NFL Europe. And she looks at me. She goes, look, we can do whatever you want. If you want to go keep chasing that, great. But you're going to have to come back and start all over again. So you either go do this and start back all over or you stay here and, you know, finish what you started. And I thought about it. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to just stick with it. So then I stay at the junior college. Uh, After the spring, I get promoted to the defensive coordinator. All right. There was a coaching change. New guy came in, moved me into coordinator. Um, now I'm actually going to get like 26 grand. Right. right so you got some year now. Yeah, You're how old? Um, I'm she, 20, 24. Okay. You know, um, and so my father-in-law moves me and my wife and two kids into a dorm room, probably about the size of this suite that we're in. Okay. Um, we're like the head, head, head residents. And then I was a D coordinator. So she's probably thinking, what is my dad thinking right now? <laughs> um, so go there. I'm at the, I'm at the junior college for one season. Um, in spring recruiting, I dealt with all the coaches that came in. So I, I met a guy by the name of Mark Farley, who's the head coach at Northern Iowa. Mm-hmm. He reaches out to me and uh, says, hey, what are you doing at a place like this? You know, boss, I'm like, hey, I'm just coaching. You know, I love what I do. And uh, we get into the summer. And then all of a sudden, Farley calls me and says, hey, you want to come to Northern Iowa? I was like, I'd, I'd love it. And you got a position for me. He goes, well, I got a graduate assistant job for you. And I, I go, okay. So I call my D-line coach and I say, hey, I, I talk to him about everything. Mm-hmm. Um, what I should do, what I shouldn't do. He, and I said, hey, I've got an opportunity to go be a GA. He goes, well, look. At 1AA, they don't have 10 full-time coaches. So you can coach a position, but you got to negotiate that. So I get back on the phone with Coach Farley. I'm like, hey, I'll come if you allow me to coach position and get on on the road and recruit. And he's like, done. So I coach the D tackles. I go, now I'm a GA. So now I'm making nine grand. So I take a pay cut again. Making nine grand. Now I got to go to grad school too. Mm. And then be a coach, be on the road recruiting. Why do you got to go to grad school? Because part of being a GA. That, that's that's how they pay you. Mm. You know, so um, so I'm going to grad school. I think you take, I don't know, seven hours, something like that. I mean, it's very minimal. I did such a good job in that one semester. After that first semester, he hired me full time. Now I'm back to 30 grand again. Okay. So, um, so it's kind of like, it's you're kind of getting like, there's like the player drafting world and there's like this coach drafting world. Coaching, coaching life way, is, yeah. a, is a life, man. It, it's, it's a grind. It, it's nuts. And, and college is, is crazy um, because of the recruiting and things. And, and we'll get into that. But just. Mm-hmm. Well, there's so, it's, there's supply and demand. Sure. It, there's a lot of guys trying to get into it so they can pay guys pennies well, when they're first getting started. A lot of guys want to get into it because of the money. Never once did I start because of the money. I started because I loved what I do. Um, and, and from middle school, like I said, 
I, I knew that I wanted to be a phys ed teacher and coach. Well, I just happened to not be a phys ed teacher, and now mm-hmm. I'm coaching. Different kind of phys ed teacher. I Absolutely. Can, I can remember <laughs> Coach Leslie, our high school coach, saying, like, Jerry's going to be an awesome coach one day. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember him saying that, like, on the field during film room, like that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it didn't surprise me when I saw that you'd done it. So fast forward, then you end up going from northern Iowa to where to where? Northern Iowa to Wyoming. Yep. Wyoming to Indiana, okay? You got In- the Midwest covered, man. Well, I was at Indiana for about a month, and then Brady Hope from Michigan called, who was just hired from San Diego State. I go to Michigan. There two years, and then I end up going to uh, University of Oklahoma. I was there two years, had a lot of success, um, you know, was named Recruiter of the Year, which which is a big deal in, in college, obviously, uh, the foundation is based off of recruiting. But I didn't want to be known for a recruiter. I just worked hard at it. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to be known for a great teacher. And then two years later, I got the opportunity to come here as the assistant front coach. And then I've been here for seven years going on eight. What's it like, um, just to touch on the recruiting theme for a second, because you said you negotiated a position where you were able to recruit. Mm-hmm. Um, what's it like? What, what's your method there? Are you just like, do you have certain like um, resources that you get? Or are you kind of on your own to like view tape, know who's who, go to games, talk to people, network? Are you going to their houses, meeting with parents like I've seen in movies? Like what, what's that like? So one, you, you, you've got to identify who you, you want to recruit. Athletes, this kid's good enough to play for us. We can develop this kid. So and you just know that from watching and from watching being in film, the industry and, and just staying on Doing it. it as a staff. Yeah. All right, hey, this is who we want to identify. Yeah. Let's go get this kid. So then you go out and you go and you build a relationship. You you, you go to the school. You meet the coach. You, you meet the janitor. You find out about the kids. You meet mm. the parents. Because you, you know all these people are going to influence this kid's decision. Yes. Right. So you try to build as many relationships with anybody attached to this kid as possible to get to know him. Because at the end of the day, um, it, 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 he's got to, you've got to make it so it's hard for that kid to tell me no, not to tell the university no, because you build such a strong relationship with that kid that you become either, when I was young, like a big brother or a father figure, um, which a lot of the athletes don't have at home. Mm-hmm. But like you, a mentor in the Absolutely. In the- you build such a strong uh, relationship that it's hard for them to tell me no. Mm. And when you work hard at something like that, and and mother, dad, and you become friends with them, and you're you, there's phone calls you're picking up in the middle of the night to yeah. answer questions for them, and then when you do it, they're like, okay, we can trust this guy with our kid, yeah. you know. And so that that's that's kind of the process. Well, recruiting and team building, man, it's so important because. Um, you know, we have a lot of guys that that Adam and I work with that are like, oh, I'm just not a good recruiter. But I actually like what you said because you said I wasn't like the best recruiter. I just worked hard at it. Mm-hmm. Most people aren't that would say they're not great at it. They also don't work at it, right? But Absolutely. if it's like mm-hmm. if what you just said, those are like people skills, not like tactical recruiting skills. It's get to know him, find out who he is, build a build a friendship, build a mentorship. And then it either happens or it doesn't, right? Like you find that you know the, the people that you know the best and connect with the best you usually just kind of end up rolling together Absolutely. or it doesn't really work out. It's generally yeah. not some sales skill that you put on them that, oh, I got them because of the thing that I said. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, you know, uh, like I said earlier, you kind of have that fear of failure, right? You, you don't want to fail. But if you're driven in the right way and, and your goal is to get this kid, 
right? The whole purpose for me is to build a relationship. I wasn't selling them on a bag of goods. I wasn't mm-hmm. pumping this. I was building a relationship. So then when we could have that open conversation, they would open up and communicate with you about things that they may not do with the guys that they don't have that relationship with. Somebody that's trying to call and be cool with them. So 100% build a relationship, but working really hard at it. And again, it, it, it may take time away from my family, but at the end of the day, if I want the end result, which is getting athletes, which help us win, you got to put in the time. Well, and then when it helps you win, then you, you know, it pays dividends in your personal life where you get better, bigger paychecks and Absolutely. provide a better experience for your family as well. And you get the right guy on board and they don't take away from your family probably, right? You get you build a team of the right people and that's an investment kind of in the long term. Yeah, you know? yeah and, and there's times where you, you know, you uh, oh, you yeah. probably take a kid that's probably not the greatest kid, but he's super talented. You <laughs> figure you can help him. And, you know, and, and, and that's also something you do as a coach is yeah. you help mold and develop. Right. Men, so. Yeah, I'm sure you look at some kids and you're like, yeah, he's a bit of a problem kid, whatever, but I think the ego in me would say, yeah, it's because he's never had a proper, like, father figure in his life. He's never had anyone actually shoot him straight on stuff, you know? Like, maybe he'll change if he's in a better environment, right? So Well, and that's probably the difference between college and the pros, right? When you're in college, you're still developing and molding young men, right, on day-to-day things. You know, from finances to how you carry yourself when you walk into a room, you don't have a hoodie on, you know, per- perception and all those things. Those are things, conversations we have every single day with when we're in college. When you get to this level, those guys have kind of been through that. Some kids are still need to be molded a little bit, but for the most part, you're dealing with young men here. And these guys are professionals for the most part. Right. But you still have a, a kid or two that needs it. But for the most part, in college, you're molding young men and teaching them how to do the right things and in, mm. in, in life. You know. Did you ever have a recruiting battle with when you were at OU with Texas, Texas A&M, whatever, or when you were at Michigan with Ohio State, oh, where yeah. you lost one or that was painful, or you won one that you were like, it was just like you know your fist pumping in the car. Like no, yeah, I mean uh, it, Michigan, I got the number one running back in the country. Um, Derek Green out of uh, Richmond, Virginia area, right? Mm. Everybody in the country wanted him. So um, you're going against Saban, everybody. Everybody. Uh, and, and to the point where people, the schools I were recruiting against were cheating. So I can tell you a story. I won't say what school, but uh, him and his mom were in an elevator. <coughs> Florida. <laughs> but him and his mom were in an elevator. And all of a sudden, this wad of cash is in the elevator. I mean, a, a stack. Mm. of hundreds um Derek's mom picks money up and says coach this this isn't ours I don't know who this is he's like it's not mine you can have it you know and she's like no 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 I'm not taking this you you, you lost and found whatever coach you know so like she would come yeah, back there's, and a, tell there's me, a there's a rack here <laughs> like yeah mm-hmm. you know and, and again um, I think a lot of people feel like these kids can be bought because they don't come from two parent family homes and so you throw a little money at somebody and it's like oh I'm gonna go there because I'm gonna probably continue to get yeah. some of these things and so um, it's crazy that like a like an actual like founded university because that seems like well, obviously so dirty. I think they, know? I mean, I think a lot of that stuff happens. You know, it's kind of like steroids in sports. It's like a coach, you know, someone in a Jerry's position at a university might be like, "I'm trying to make my bones here. I got to get an advantage and trying to figure out how to get these kids." And then he hears 
everybody else is cheating. So then he he takes the bait and starts yeah. doing stuff. And I think a lot of times, like, the head coach for the school may not even be aware of it. But, I mean, I think at all, you know, they kind of, like, know. It's like a wink-wink type thing. I mean, I don't know. You tell me. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, um, you want to be really good at what you do, right? So are you willing to cross that line? And, and I was told the day I started from my D-line coach, Ron Aiken, he just says, I'm going to tell you these things, these three things. He goes, um, never cheat. He goes, never lose your reputation over a recruit. You'll never be able to coach again, mm -hmm. right? And then he says, um, he goes, you'll pass the same people on the way to the top uh, as the same people when you're coming down to the bottom. He goes, so always treat people the way you want to be treated. Mm. You know, and so, and he goes, what you put on the field represents you. So those three things. And, and I've kind of lived and died by that, you know. So people can say, oh, Jerry was a good recruiter. Well, he was, you know, he was cheating and that's it. Well, I was never, never, ever going to do that to jeopardize my family and my livelihood, you know. And then. So what do you think, how do you think you got the kid over? The relationship, uh, the mom, the education we had to offer at the University of Michigan. Um, and the opportunity to play uh, at a great traditional school. You know? And he was unique because to the mom, um, education, very they valued it. So mm. Michigan has a top five public education, you know. So um, so that's how that happened. And then we lost the kid, uh, um, Chicago kid, uh, Laquan Treadwell, to Old Miss. And I had been in the home, um, had known the coaches forever, had a great relationship with the kid, the mom, um, how, how long of a span are you working uh, on? I'm saying this was a three-year process. Yeah. I knew Three-year courtship. I had, I had got a kid when I was at Wyoming from his school to commit. Um, so I had great relationships within the school. Um, when I got to Michigan, you know, Laquan was one of the first kids we, you know, offered. And all of a sudden, he takes a visit to a place. And he had been on the University of Michigan's campus, I'm saying, seven to eight times. So when you get a kid that much on campus— like, things are heading in the right direction. Mm -hmm. They don't just keep coming back for nothing. Well, he goes and takes one visit to a place. Um, somebody drove him there. Somebody was paid to drive him there. And then all communication stopped after that visit. Dude, I know that road. I hate that road, Wait, man. <laughs> That's happened to us. It is crazy because you're like, oh, yo, so three times. years, seven or eight times. You go one time and now... You're defensive, and now you don't respond. Like what? That, like just talk to me. Yeah, you know? that happens with us because we we're in a really competitive industry. So absolutely, um, there's competitors out. And our company is the biggest, baddest company. And a lot of these little small companies will come after our people, especially when they're trying to find leadership and whatever. Absolutely. And so yeah, it's a combination of playing defense and offense at the same time. But most importantly, like you're saying, our teams to do the best are the teams that really cultivate relationships with their Absolutely. sales reps and their their wives or their kids. It's like they're, it's more than just a job. No I mean, doubt. It's, it's, a, it's a family culture type environment with our best teams. Absolutely. So well, then don't you think it makes it like when you're trying to, to elevate their level of performance, like having that foundation without it would be pretty hard. Like the fact that, hey, I know your mom. I know your coach. I know he wouldn't stand for this or I know mm -hmm. he would want like – Man, like, like you're, hey, you're when I recruited so you, you told me this was important, and like now you're not doing it. You know, well, like, yeah. Once you get them there, right? The relationship is built. Um, th they know you care about them. Now it's m it's my job to be demanding, and and just remember this: even as a coach, like 
I may be critiqued, right? And, uh, you know, you got to learn how to take criticism because the only way to get better is by taking criticism. That, that's how you move forward. And a lot of people are very prideful in what they do. So they take criticism as, you know, this guy's, you know, he's an asshole. But yeah. ultimately, or he doesn't like me. Or, yeah, yeah. He, he's, he, he's trying to make me better. And you got to get these kids to understand, hey, look, I'm here to help you. Um, I'm not here getting in your ass or doing these things for my own health. This is to help you. If you're not doing something right, I've, I've got to teach you how to do it better, right? Um, if I'm not and I'm not talking to you, you might as well find another place to go because I'm done trying to get across to you. Yeah, mm. I, 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 I appreciate that because I've, I've often, and I want to talk to you about hard <clears throat> conversations that you have to have with players, right? Because you have to manage them differently. But um, I've, I've, I've had conversations with me started. Yeah. And I've started conversations because of that with other people with, hey, I wouldn't be saying this if I didn't care. Like, mm-hmm. the easier thing is to say nothing here and let you keep making the mistakes, but we're talking about something that's difficult because I actually care. And I, I'm, I'm interested in how you help people understand that because a lot of people, like, you see a mistake that a leader makes or, you know, somebody on the team and you, you want to talk to them about it and help them develop. But a lot of times it's meant with defensiveness, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, well, I, I did that because of this, mm-hmm. right? But really, really, as a coach, as a leader, I'm really only saying this to help you, right? Absolutely. Like, so how do you, how do you, once you get them on board, how do you continue to show them that you care? Because when you're courting them and trying to get them on, it's this is what we'll do for you. Once you get here, now the hard work starts. Now you have to actually like forge, you know, the, the yeah. talent. You know, still at the end of the day, like when we get in the meeting room, it's business. When we're out of that meeting room, we still have that relationship and we build a bond. And you have to know I have your best interest at heart. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not going to ask you to do something that's not going to help you be productive. Okay? My job is to help you be productive. If you're productive, you make more money. All right? If you're productive, you help us win. So I'm not going to sit here and gripe and gripe and gripe on something fundamentally to get you right if it's not going to help you or, or benefit you. So when they understand that, you know, and I've got guys that 100% I can tell them once they fix it. And I got guys that aren't driven the same way as other guys. And those are the guys that I constantly have to have my foot in their ass mm-hmm. all the time. And yeah, it, 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 um, yeah, it, at times it can be tiring. But I know if I give him an inch, he's going to take a foot. Mm-hmm. So I can't give him an inch. And, and I've got to know that as a coach. I got to know that you, you're a self-starter and you're not. You've got some laziness to you. So I've got to push you harder than I'm pushing him because all I got to do is tell you to do it this way and you're going to get it done. This guy, I've got to almost walk him through it. You know. Yeah, you have some players where you can just calmly say, hey, this is what I needed to do. And you know they're going to just do it with that max effort. And other players, you're like yelling at them to get that stuff done, right? Absolutely. I had a coach, so I had a coach in college down at SUU. And um, I remember uh, me and this player... Um, were competing for playing time. And he, the, the guy I was competing with, he, I can't remember exactly what he did. It was like late to practice or like late to film or just something. Mm-hmm. And he was like super cool with him when he came in. And um, he was like, hey man, like just don't let it happen again. Like he was super cool. And I'm like, and I talked to him after. And I was like, hey, I'm just kind of curious because I'm more interested in the coaching psychology here. I'm like, had I walked in two minutes late, like you would have screamed at me to never be late again. And I'm like, him, you were like super chill with. And he's like, I'm like, don't you think you should treat players the same? And he's like, no. And he goes, 
because I know you can handle that. And he's like, I know he can't handle that. Like he will turtle Mm -hmm. into a shell and he will never be the same if I dress him down in front of all of his peers. You know what I mean? So how do you like, how do you identify what makes guys tick when you're first meeting them? Like, how do you start like learning? Do you ask their college coaches? Do you like, or do you just kind of have a feel for it? It's a feel. You find out real quick. Um, You find out how guys respond. And then you got to remember, like, all right, he didn't handle it very well. So I might need to grab him to the side and get at him that way. Or Mm -hmm. I might need to talk to this kid. He doesn't handle being embarrassed in front of everybody. Where Mm -hmm. some of your best players, your most driven players, they want to be coached. They want to be coached hard. Some of your guys that are um, has some insecurities, right? Uh, They may not want to be in maybe their culture is like, hey, I I don't want to be disrespected in front of everybody. Mm -hmm. Well. And there's times where, you know, you're going to lose it. Uh, but for the most part, you just, you learn, you grab that kid to the side and say, all right, look, this is what you're not doing well. We got to clean this up. This yeah. is how we do it better. And do you find you spend, like, do you do one-on-ones with your players? Like, do you directly coach? Like, do you meet one-on-one with them ever? Well, yeah, all the time. My door's always open for one. But two, we always meet as a group. But, like, if I need to speak with somebody one-on-one after the group, I'll say, hey, so-and-so, I need to visit with you. Stay in here while everybody's heading out to the field. And then we'll have our talk. And then um, for the most part, you know, there, there's been some rough ones. But at the end of the day, they know that I care for them. So they, they, they get over their feelings after about a day. And then they're back to normal. You know? I had to have a hard combo with someone just last night, by the way. How'd it go? It was, uh, well, I started. Who was at, it? I'm not going <laughs> to name names because this person's dear to me. But uh, I noticed that the way they were holding their utensils was while they were eating their steak was an issue for me. Yeah, I used to eat like a caveman, and Adam fixed it. <laughs> so he, uh, I, I used Ty to was like. Gonna, I actually knew meat. that Ty was gonna like this one. Yeah, I like that. And so the person I was with was trying to kill their steak and eat it. And <laughs> you get the squeak said, on the metal plate like that. Grind. And so, and the thing is, like, I have a couple things like people eat with their mouth open, like yeah. stuff like that. It yeah. grinds. It grinds my gears. So I'm pretty laid back for the most part, but I have like two or three things that just like get me. No doubt. And uh, I was like, hey, I'm like, listen, um, are you open to some feedback? <laughs> and um, <laughs> on the way, on the way and, you're killing yeah, that steak. Yeah, in we're on a, like we're on a date. You know what I mean? And no uh, you know, she's like. Um, Sure. And, oh, this uh, is a female. This is harder. Yeah. Oh man. See, because if it, if you go to a guy that must have been really if you go to a guy and like hey, you can do this better, it's like oh, I've never. I've, you gave me that feedback once. I eat completely different. So Ty used to do it too, and <laughs> I was like, I'm like Ty, listen, I'm like, here's the thing, man. Like, it's just you and me, so it's not a big deal. But I'm like, if you're eating with like our CEO or like you're in a business meeting 10 years from now and you're with a bunch of like high-level bankers, you're yeah. trying to raise money. No I'm like, you can't be holding your utensils like this, dude. Yeah, flip the fork. Like, like here, you know, and so then he started sending me videos. His wife would take them and send them to me. So anyway, oh man, um, yeah, that was good, but yeah. So I have a couple culture questions yeah. for you. Um, you know, and I want to get to like the, just the brief walk around that we had, but you pointed out some details and we noticed some details that were cool, but just straight up, what does it mean to be a Packer? Because I see I see some like hints to it. We've been here for forty five minutes or something. Mm-hmm. Ty so, wants to know also what yeah, exa- what the hell what is a, a Packer? what exactly is no. a Packer? <laughs> well, yeah, a Packer is. Um, <laughs> he was hold on, me. I don't think Adam knows either. Go ahead. <laughs> the, um, basically, the the Packers, Green Bay is known for uh, its packaging uh, boxes. Pretty straightforward. 
Yeah, so um, <laughs> <laughs> that that's where that comes from. I is mean, it is it? Do they pack cheese? Because I've seen the cheese thing going. Well, no, I mean, that, there's obviously cheese is a, a big deal around here, but there's these um, packaging companies that they they um, build boxes. And there and, you go. And so the Green Bay Packers. Yeah, there it is. What's, that wasn't what's, one of my culture what's questions. It, before though. you move on to the culture one, though, just last topic on this particular thing. Green Bay is a legendary franchise. Mm-hmm. The Super Bowl trophy is named after the original Green Bay coach, Vince Lombardi. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, what's it when you got the opportunity to come coach for the Packers? Is that sort of like the holy grail of teams to come coach for? Yeah, I mean, th- th- this is one of the the most sought after franchises in the history of the game. Sports. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's an unbelievable unbelievable place to work uh the environment is is great the organization is great the way they operate um if you need it and it's going to help you win they're going to make sure that you have it so that's pretty neat i i was blessed and lucky to get the opportunity to come here i mean you know one it's hard to get into the nfl from the college uh levels and and i will i was lucky to get that opportunity and then let alone be green bay so th- this has been awesome and like i say when they go about their business the right way they, they do it and and that's why you know we just hired an unbelievable special teams coach that uh is well thought after possibly the best special team coach in the nfl and you know that was part of his reasoning coming here to have the opportunity to coach in in green bay and and do something special now guys in this league i mean you, you're at a place for two or three years and you get fired you go somewhere else i mean it, it's it's a to revolving door so I've been blessed to be at one place, um, you know, for seven years going on eight. So mm. it's been pretty cool. That's crazy. And you were taught, you were telling us that, you know, there's not there's not an owner. And so we, as we were walking around, man, the stadium is a mix of like stadium slash college campus slash mm-hmm. trophy to the Incredible. town. It's all modern. It's new. Like it looks like. I mean, how long has the stadium been here? Uh, for a long time. Yeah, and it looks like it was built date, in the last 10 years. Yeah, you know? they, they do it, it. They're passionate about it. They take care of it. The, the field crew to the maintenance. I mean, these guys work around the clock. When when we leave here tonight, you're going to see people working. I mean, mm-hmm. so very prideful. They want it to look the right way. Um, and just the tradition is important to everybody. You know? So for, for a player and mm-hmm. getting into the way you coach people and the, like the intentional culture, because... You walked us into like the different like team rooms, right? Mm-hmm. Where this is where the, you know the offensive team means the defensive team, all that stuff. So what does it what does it mean to be a Packer? Are there certain values and certain things? Like I saw on your wall in your room, it said "Play like a G," and then it mm-hmm. had the Green Bay Packer. I bet that's a thing. And then, you know, as I was reading the messages on the other ones, but just real quickly, what does it what does it mean to be a Packer? What 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 is fundamental to your culture from a from a value standpoint? Well, you know. Again, I believe in philosophy-wise, um, toughness, effort, fundamentals. Mm-hmm. It doesn't take talent to do any one of those three things. So those are the three. Toughness, effort, and fundamentals. fundamentals. Yep. Those three things. And if you take pride in those things and, and you give that to me, you're going to have a chance to be a pretty good player. Because it doesn't take talent to do any one of those three things, mm-hmm. period and point blank. So, so that those are my beliefs um, and and the philosophy that I live and die by in my room with my players, okay. And and uh, the Packers stand for that also. 
So um, is the Jerry Montgomery D-line culture uh, different than the rest of the team's culture, do you think? I mean, obviously there's some continuity there and some similarities, but like when the guys are in the, the big team room, there's uh, you know a message of team unity, whatever. Mm-hmm. They get in your room and is it like we're part of like Jerry's like crew in here, you know? Like do you create that sense of pride with your squad, yeah. so, so to speak? So again, what I put on the field represents me, right, wrong, or indifferent. What they do on the field, I taught them right, wrong, or indifferent. Um, and we take pride in that. So each individual coach is responsible for their unit, mm-hmm. okay? Now, we play as one defense, we play as one offense, one special teams, and then we win and die as a team, right? Um, so there's a coordinator. He's responsible for making the calls and calling the calls. My job is to get my guys to play that call at the highest level that they can play at. And we're pretty darn good at doing that. But I take pride in that. Um, my guys take pride in that. And we hold ourselves to that standard all the time. And when it slacks, I want them to police each other. And then I'm going to police. Okay. And, and we are going to play to whether it's the Green Bay Packers or the Jerry Montgomery, however you want to say it. But that represents me. So when it's bad out there, that's on me. Mm. I got to stand up as a man and be like, I didn't do a good enough job. Mm-hmm. Okay. And and that's hard because you're prideful. And you don't ever want to go into something and say, nay, I didn't put forth my best effort. What are some of the symbols? Like you mentioned to us, like, what, first of all, walking into the locker room mm-hmm. is pretty insane. It's not, I mean, when you think of a locker room, there's no actual lockers in your locker. I mean, I'm thinking like the metal clanging things. Mm-hmm. That thing is <laughs> insane, right? It's this big circle. Everybody's names up there. All their stuff's laid out the right way. Maybe Ty, they don't have metal clanging lockers in high school. I'm just talking to my man here, okay? About <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying when you go into there, it feels a certain way. You yeah. know, the G's on the floor. And so it's maybe talk about, talk about some of the symbols that, that you, or some of the repeating messages that you send to your players through like the visual of walking into these different rooms. Yeah, so you know, one thing that you notice when you walk in that locker room is you could see in every guy's locker, the shirts were faced a certain way, the G's were exactly set a certain way. It's the attention to detail in which everybody in the organization operates. And that's what those guys see, and that's what we expect from them. And, and those guys take pride in that. The, the one thing, you know, people always say, you can't just roll the G out on the, on game day and it's going to win. Mm. We got to put in the work. Just because you're here doesn't mean we're going to win. And uh, those guys get that. They understand what they represent and, and you know, the players that have come before them. And so. so I have a question. Um, so we have a, with our sales teams, we'll have, um, our managers sometimes turn over where they'll transfer markets or they'll move on to another opportunity or, you know, get promoted to something else and a spot opens up. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have a group of people on every team that we call our leadership core or like on the West Coast, we call it prime. On the East Coast, we call it foundry. They're like, you know, so anyway, we have these little groups, these little mm-hmm. leadership groups. Um, and oftentimes we're expecting them to kind of step into these roles and we have to have combos about, look, like you can't do certain things anymore and we're not expecting you now to do these things now, you know, mm-hmm. but also really magnify the role that you have. So um, as a coach, I'm, you guys have, you know, you just lost your best receiver, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like now we have a guy that's, I'm sure you have players 
viewing that as an opportunity to step in and fill that Absolutely. role, right? So Absolutely. as a coach, when you have turnover like that, especially within your D-line group, what's your message to the young guys that are coming up, especially if they have huge shoes to fill? Yeah. Ultimately, what's the standard, right? Doesn't matter if you're seventh year, fifth year, or rookie. When you step in that game, what is the standard? What's the expectations? All right. Um, and, yeah, obviously, we we talk next man in, okay? The, the next man in, this is your opportunity to prove that you belong, right? So let's take advantage of those opportunities. And, again, it kind of is on me too, right? Have I done a good enough job of developing this person so when he steps in that role, he's ready to take it? But, yeah, I mean, there are going to be guys hungry to step into those roles, um, and somebody's going to shine. Somebody's going to be the next Devonte Adams. Somebody's going to be the next, you know, whoever. But what about a guy who's not getting playing time? How do you keep him fully engaged every practice, every time he's in the weight room, like every film session? And he, in his head, knows he should be thinking, you know, I'm one injury away from being the starter, and then also you just never know. Like, you know what I mean? So like, how do you keep that guy engaged at all times? You know what? You, you've, you've just got to, you've got to find ways to get to him. And some of these guys are self-driven and they know, Hey, like I got to find a way on the field. Let me go dominate on special teams mm-hmm. and build a name that way. And they'll keep me around. And when my opportunity comes, I'll take advantage of it. And you got some guys that think they should be starters and think they should do this. And you've just got to, you know, get them to understand that, Hey, look, <clears throat> You're not, the, you're not the guy. Everybody has a role. Be coachable, all right? Do your job. And when you get your opportunity, take advantage of it, period and point blank. So it, it, that, it's... That relates so much to our up-and-comers because yeah. a lot of times they, you know, our management position, it's called the district manager. And a lot of times our up-and-comers are like, how do I become a district manager? And we're giving them feedback. And mm-hmm. I think there's times where it's misinterpreted as... Like we're holding you back, but really we're like, no, like you're you're not the guy right now. You're not doing X, Y, Z, and you're also making these certain mistakes mentally or whatever, and you know, interaction with your peers or just Absolutely. you know that kind of stuff. And so you're constantly like coaching them through that kind of stuff. But then sometimes they'll get, uh, um, like they'll get discouraged mm-hmm. because they're not getting their shot, kind of thing. So is that something that you're constantly working through with guys that don't feel like they're getting the playing time? I mean, these guys are, they've been used to being the star their whole life. Yep. And all of a sudden they get to the NFL and they're not the star. Well, all you can do as a coach or as a leader is show them what they're not doing well, show them how they can fix it, and then keep their head down and grind and, and good things will happen. But if you're constantly worried about the next step and you're not worried about taking um, the baby steps to get to that step, then you're never going to succeed. You know, so y- y- they got to be able to take criticism, right? You got to be able to take criticism in order to grow, in order to reach that next step. So, hey, these are the things that you need to do. If you do these things, it'll happen for you. Your opportunity is going to come. You know, you got to be patient, though. It's not going to happen overnight, you know, so. It's that toughness piece, too, right? Because as you're saying that, Think about what people have been spending their whole life developing generally, right? Is their talent, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Or their like physicality or whatever. But you know, you almost wish that you could get to these kids when they're nine and be like, hey, 
I need to teach you how to be teachable or like, you, you know, you got to be tough. You got to have the fundamentals. You got to, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it might be weird for some people and they probably get it at, in college, but like to Adam's point, a lot of our people work on developing their skills, mm-hmm. but they don't practice taking feedback very often. You know what I mean? And like the ones yeah. that, that can figure well, that the, stuff out. And it's the, I mean, every sport has this, it's the crazy talented kid who is not coachable. Yeah. Right. So how do you get through to those guys? Well, some some guys you'll never because they be able they to see. Fit. Sorry to interrupt you, but they they see the hardest thing is they see how good they are, talented, and they know they're even better than a guy who might be next to them. And they get attention from other teams and other competitors mm-hmm. and stuff. That's know, right. Like, yeah, and we have a lot of really talented sales guys that are not coachable. Yeah. So. Well, ultimately, at the end of the day, right? You you can be as talented as you want, but if you can't process and learn. Um, you're not going to be able to play because we can't put you in crucial situations if we know you're going to make mistakes and you're going to hurt the team. So we got to find, we'll take a lesser athlete and that's willing to do whatever we ask him to do at the highest level. And we'll put him in there because we know he's going to run the right route or he's going to trust him. Absolutely. There's a trust factor. Mm. And sometimes it's called a security blanket, right? You just know old reliable is going to get it done. Johnny's talented. We know everybody wants him to play, but he can't get himself lined up. Mm. It's on him to take that step. And I'll put the time in with you, but if you're not willing to take those steps and put the time in to prepare and to study and to know it better than I know it, then you're just going to be that talented guy that's walking around at home, um, yeah. not making well, a good living. There, I mean obscure reference a little bit for non-football fans but like i'm a big pats fan yeah and nobody could understand when belichick cut jamie collins uh, um like five years ago he was like the one of the most talented kids yeah. on the pats but like he couldn't play in the system and belichick's like look like i can't trust him on the field like i get mm-hmm. it he makes all these crazy plays but he's just like a rogue player out there. And it's trust all is an interesting yeah. word there, right? Because a lot of times like you wouldn't think that it's trust, but if you're on a team and you're putting someone in a position to get something done, it's the same thing with like a, a sales force or a or a you know a military unit or a professional Absolutely. team. It's like, dude, can I trust you? Absolutely. That's 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 the question that I think people should be asking. Um, what are some of the rituals, traditions, maybe systems that you have? Now you might not maybe consciously recognize them because I'll bet there's tons and it's probably kind of routine, but I'm talking about things like, do you guys do a Thursday night wing night? Do you, everybody get together to view tape? Do you do, I saw the boards downstairs for player of the game. Um, is there like a, an order to the lockers and whose is where? Like what are some of the rituals and traditions that you guys do to kind of celebrate your values? You know, we are like our routines are set in stone. Like w- what we do every day is, it's like, it's like clock, clockwork. I mean, okay. we, we work a ton of hours. Um, but what the guys, they more do things hmm. like that. Hey, we're going to go do a team builder. Our coach will set something up. We're going to do this. But as our group, you know, we'll, we'll try to go and have a, you know, a, a D line dinner the night before an away game. Okay. You know, so whenever to, you guys are in a different city or yeah, something, so like we that. fly dinner. Saturday. We'll go have a dinner. Now with COVID, it's been rough. Right? But that's an expensive place for, for the D line to show up to a restaurant <laughs> right. and be like, "We're about to do some work." No, they stick the bill with the rookie. Stick the bill it's with like the credit rookie. Card that. Is that yeah, how it works? Yeah. It, it works. It works. Let's just say that. But no, <laughs> like we're about to sell a lot of food, guys. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, so, so D-line so, dinner on the away game. At the end of the season, you guys do a banquet. Do you do you have awards for you, you that know, are certain we, things unique to your we, team? We don't. At the end of the year, you know, we these guys are ready to get out of here. Most of the guys mm-hmm. that play here don't live here. Oh, really? They live out west or in Texas and nice sunny areas where they go and train, right? And, and the players will be back here um, next Monday. We'll have them back for basically what we call our spring training, OTAs. Do they rent houses or do they... Some, some buy, or? some rent, some, you know, um, yeah. So it, it varies. Like some guys buy them and, uh, you know, just keep them unoccupied when they're not here. Some guys rent them and then release and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So it varies. Every place is different, but we have a lot of guys that don't live here, you know, uh, in the off season, which is pretty common for most places. They so go you just back trust home. them to do their own training routine and well, stuff like that? Well, you know, we, our facility is open for them if they want to train here, but for the most part, most of these guys train at facilities like XOs and things like uh-huh. that. So they go and train with other NFL players and work out and compete, and then they come back here for spring for six weeks. Um, we have them send them off before training camp, and then we get them back in late July, and then then we're we're rolling until January, you know. So it's it's mm. it's crazy, but you yeah. Said your routine's really set in stone. So during the season, yeah, what's like a like a quick typical like week look like? Like if you were just to say these are like the key things that we always hit in a week. Well, um, for us as coaches, right, we play Sunday, so Monday morning, uh, four a.m. So seven days a week, I'm four a.m. So 4 a.m. What at 4 a.m.? I'm at my desk uh, preparing. Even after traveling on a Sunday? Yeah. So we, we got back from a West Coast trip, San Francisco, last year. We landed at probably, I don't know, 4 a.m. And I came straight in. Here we are complaining about kind of our woozy layovers yeah, today. So you land from <laughs> you San know? Fran. You just come straight in. I come straight in because you have the option to go home and come back in at 11. But I feel like, you know what? I'm awake. Let me go in get my preparation stuff done that I need to get done for my Tuesday meetings. And um, I'll, I'll leave a little bit earlier. Guys are rolling in at 11, and I've gotten, you know, mm-hmm. six hours of work in or whatever. So 4 a.m. on Monday. Yeah, 4 a.m. on Monday. Every day. Yeah, and and so uh, anywhere from 9 to 9.30, I'll leave. Other guys come in later and stay later, maybe mm-hmm. stay till 1 a.m. So you're prepping for Tuesday meetings. What's you, that you, like? you're, you're prepping for the game plan. Okay. So... Um, my job, I'm responsible for the run game. So I got to come in, make sure I know, I got to study the opponent, um, know them inside and out. I got to present on them on Tuesday with the with the staff. Mm-hmm. So I got to do all that and get my stuff ready on Monday. But I'm actually started that prep uh, the Friday of the week prior, right? Nice. So Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Now Monday, I'm I'm in a good spot. So you have someone that like preps gets your film ready that you want to no, see. That, that's, that's that's all on you. me. So they break it down. I get it. I organize it, structured how I want, um, and uh, I get my presentation together. I show up Tuesday morning. We have set times. You know, it's eight o'clock. Hey Jerry, you present the run game. I get up. I present the run game to the staff, uh, the defensive staff, and then all right, we talk about some things, how we want to play them, adjust. Then it's the next person, pass game, blah, blah, blah. So then, now Wednesday, the players come back in, right? Okay. So now I've got to prep that day and night for my meeting to install the things that we just talked about Tuesday. So we've got to do that um, Tuesday night. So we come in Wednesday, well, the players are here. Now I got to present to them and we got to teach them the game plan. And then we got to go out to practice and practice it against the things that we think we're going to see. So they practice Wednesday. They come well, in and brief on and Wednesday. And the practices and practice. are like 
every minute of the practice is planned out, right? I mean, yes. it's like every, every, every how, what are your, what are your, um, time blocks in a practice, like seven minutes, 10 minutes? Like, well, how? yeah. So, you know, you'll get out there. There's obviously stretch, there's walkthrough, um, there's special teams where special teams could have a 15 minute slot. And then we go to individual, which could be a, you know, a 15 minute slot, uh, from individual, um, we'll go to a team. So we'll have a team period for 10 minutes and then we'll have another special teams period for five minutes. So you guys are just rolling. Boom. It's, it's, it's like, like clockwork. Yeah. So when we go somewhere and we're like, whoa, this is unorganized. We, we go to like corporate and go visit places and we're like, this is a shit show. <laughs> <laughs> we're so got, used to. Yeah. I like that. Everything. It starts at eight. We roll. Well, you know, you know, it's so our sales teams have what we call correlation meetings. Yeah. So it's like two couple times a week. They'll have a meeting. It's usually like 60 to 90 minutes long. Yeah. We'll go to some teams and that's what it operates like. It's like 10 a.m. Lights on like bang, and it's like bang, bang, bang all yep. the way through. And it's the same every single time. Yeah. And then you go to some. And it's just like willy nilly hodgepodge. Like, all right, guys, let's get, let's circle up. Like, let's all right, guys, like, so what do we want to talk about today? And you're just like, bro. Yeah. yeah. Structured, yeah. organized, get it in, get it out. Don't want to waste anybody's time. If yeah. we're going to be in here, we're going to be efficient. Mm. And then we're going to get you on your way. So on what? So they play Sunday and then they get a couple days to rest, like as the players. So, so and then Wednesday. We, we practice Wednesday. Uh-huh. First day of the week, they practice. Come back the next day. Uh, we install a different game plan, whether it's, third down, all right, red zone on Thursday. So we go out and practice that. They're playing again. Come back Friday. Friday is what we call Fast Friday, so we're just in helmets. Um, but now we're doing, you know, two-minute things like that, okay. starting to get to the end of game planning. Then we get to Saturday, which is um, more or less a walkthrough, right? Okay. And then we get on. We're home. We go home, come back Saturday night, have meetings. What time you meet up on Saturday night? Uh, it, it would be like eight o'clock. Okay. Right, and then they. This is the staff or the team. The team, and okay. they have like bed check at eleven, right? So, they'll we'll go home, come back Sunday game day, play in the game, and then if we win, they'll have victory Monday, so they have Monday off and right. Tuesday. But normally Tuesday. There's those Saturday. rituals: victory Monday, All victory right. Monday, like fast well, Friday, fast Friday. Yeah, victory Monday, turnover Thursday. What if it's a loss? Do they still get victory no, Monday? No, no, You got to come to work. If you... What's what's Monday called? If you win? Victory, victory Monday. That's what I was I'm So if, if, you, if you lose, there, there is no victory Monday. <laughs> you only asked that question once around here, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, no. Um, yeah, if you lose, they're they're in here. They come out and, and you know, get the lactose. Victory Monday, out. turnover Thursday, fast Friday. Friday. Yep. What else? When you're, when you're uh, traveling, when, what do you do? Like, do they, you fly on Saturdays? We do. We fly on Saturdays. Yeah. Unless sometimes we'll leave a day day early if we're on the West Coast or something. Dude, I'm like so that. impressed by your guys' schedule. And I know to you it probably seems obvious because you're like, hey, we got so much to do and so many people and we got a game and we got a million people watching and we got to be on it. But it's crazy because a lot of our guys say like, oh, I get burned out. If you heard our schedule, you you would like, it's not, there's not that value number one, that mm-hmm. toughness thing. Like, yeah. And they're tough and they're mentally resilient, but we work like two to eight. So like, you know, guys will come in in the, in, in the afternoon and we work about two to eight. But sometimes they're like, oh, I'm just burnt out. I'm just tired. But to hear a coach's schedule, and I remember one time. Like, and also just the journey of being a coach, too. Well, like and to that. show up and you're prepped and you're here at 4 a.m. And you and, and to you, it seems really obvious. But I think that running through that is really helpful for like our guys to hear because they run franchises. They run like really important organizations. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just the giving yourself that time and a little bit of structure 
what you guys do with that time is insane, right? Yeah. Like you yeah. maximize every you do. minute of that. There's, you know? Again, I want to try to get home and see my family, which is rare, right? But if I'm going to be in here, I'm going to be efficient with my time. So yeah. I get in early. Uh, again, the reason why I get in early is because you roll in at six or seven and everybody wants to talk. Well, I get here, there's not many people in the building. So I can go to work, not be bothered, get things rolling and, and, and get a head start. And uh, when guys roll, you know, we, we have our visits. But like, I need to be efficient so I can leave as early as I can so I can get home and see my family because that's important to me. Yeah. What time do most people clear out around here? Like, well, we're here at nine o'clock tonight, but what, what time do most people leave in? Uh, well, you th 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 this time of year, this time of year, it's not 4 a.m. This right. time of year, we come in, we work out as a staff in sure. the morning, like, you know, 5.30. And, <laughs> Decent and hours. <laughs> got, guys, guys left here Sleeping probably <laughs> about 6, 6.30 tonight. So, you know. man, that's... So wait, you guys work out as a staff. I mean, mm -hmm. like, you and Coach LaFer are not, like, bench pressing together. No, but but uh, our strength Jerry's. coach just puts a program together for us. So we come in. Um, it, it's good for us to be around each other. Yeah. Um, you know, we're, we're all on different levels, but, you know, it's it's kind of a high-intensity deal, and we go and trying to you get all you get, still, get back to my high school weight. <laughs> you still get the respect, like, your D-lineman when they see you throwing up, you know, you know, squat you, rack. You know what? Yeah, I mean, the, like, like the whatever. You, you've got to be in somewhat shape yeah. to, you know, and, uh, but, yeah, I mean, that's probably one of my biggest vices is, like, the season's such a grind. I'm a stress eater, and that's what happens. So I, I the off-season's my time to take 30 D-line pounds dinner. Off. You know, well, I'm, I'm trying to take that weight off. And, yeah. then, and then in the season, you put it back on. So that's been a big cycle. So hopefully I can take it off, take off a good 60 pounds this year and then keep it off forever, you know. How so. do you how do you manage with your family? Because, I mean, the schedule you just said was insane. And I bet mm -hmm. it's even crazier during the season because you are you got to throw travel in on that. So, I mean, obviously it sounds like, you know, your wife knew the deal getting into it and has been supportive. But what do what are some maybe things that you see that function well for, like, making sure that the family's on board with the schedule like that? Well, it's just, you know, you either have somebody that's supportive or, or not. And if they're not, you won't be married long or you're going to leave this profession, right? I love what I do, and she knows that. She's supportive, and she gets it. Um, and, you know, our kids are blessed because of the living that we get to make, right? Mm -hmm. But uh, there's a sacrifice, right? You know, if, if I, uh, you know, <clears throat> didn't want to provide for them in the way that we do, then, you know, I'll go coach middle school football or something or whatever, right? And and, and be at home all the time. But, um, you know, I didn't come for much. So I'm driven to um, be, I always wanted to be successful. It didn't matter whether it was a striker's medical sales job or coaching at the highest level. Like I set goals um, and, and I've, I've reached those goals. Um, and there's other goals that I have set that eventually I will get to. Um, but you know, I kind of put those on the back burner because of my family, you know, instead of bouncing around to another place to take a coordinator's job to possibly be a head coach, you're like, all right, let, let my kids get through high school and, uh, and then we'll, we'll look at those opportunities next. But, you know, I'm blessed to be here, but you know, my goals were to be the, the best D line coach I could be at the highest level. And now I'm one of 32. Okay. So there's only 32 of these jobs in the NFL. And we're coaching the best of the best. So I've accomplished that goal. Um, I just had the opportunity to be promoted to run game coordinator, which will help me take that next step into becoming a coordinator. So um, just 
set set high goals and uh man be driven and 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 don't stop until you you know accomplish those things and so yeah jerry i want to end with this um first of all thanks for spending yeah. time with us man it's all been good. awesome all good. um so you may you probably aren't gonna remember this but when we were in high school uh jerry hit me so hard Changed his personality. Um, <laughs> no, I woke up like a different human. Yeah. So, so here's the play, okay? Jerry's playing offensive line. And I was, Pause. Do you remember this? Well, he, oh, well, well, I, he I, I was thinking <laughs> of another play, but go ahead. All right. All right. So, uh, Changed Jerry's, Adam's life. Didn't remember. Jerry's play, right. Yeah, Jerry doesn't even remember this, probably. <laughs> so um, he's playing O-line. I'm playing DN, and we're on opposite sides of the ball. So they run a, like a sweep to the right, and Jerry's job was basically to like pull and then like wall off the linebackers or whatever, okay? I'm playing DN, so I'm trailing the play like from behind, and Jerry blocks his linebacker, knocks him down, and then he's just turning around looking for someone else to hit. Well, I'm, chasing, I'm chasing the running back, and Jerry's like over here, and I have no idea where he's at, okay? So he, I'm just staring at this running back as fast as I can. And, dude, Jerry put his helmet right here <laughs> in my body. And I literally did a backflip, okay? <laughs> and my helmet popped off like a cork out of a wine bottle. <laughs> and my chin strap was shattered, dude. That's the trophy. So, the I mean, it was off. like, it was literally like I did a cartwheel in the air. And um, I just remember, like, laying there in my helmet. And I had snot all over my face. Like, have you ever heard of a snot bubble? No, but I can, I can yeah, see it. Yeah, so a snot bubble <laughs> is when you get hit so hard, all the snot in your sinuses comes out of your head. So, and it's just all in your face. It's, like, disgusting. But, like, it happens sometimes. So, um, anyway, you probably don't remember that. But uh, We can go down to the field next time one. and we that can see if we can one. recreate yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> That was that one chance. That I never ran without my head on a swivel again from that point forward. <laughs> See, I like, taught him something. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, that like the rest too. of my college career, I was like so intensely paranoid about that hit happening to me oh, again. Man. Like I would just run and I'd be like, that was a crit. My coach would oh, be like, yeah. what's going on with you, dude? I love that. I'm like I'm not trying to get blindsided. Well, we're excited to watch the career continue to, to 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 grow and for you to impact cool. more people, man. This has been an incredible experience, and thank you so much for for your time. Yeah, thanks you guys for having me. It's been great. Appreciate it, man. Absolutely. All right, guys, another episode of Electric People in the Books, Jerry Montgomery. If you've liked what you've heard and are interested in joining our teams, just DM us on Instagram and one of us will reach out about how to join this dynamic opportunity. You want to come be a part of the best sales team, solar team in the industry? Hit us up. Sunrun. Thanks for hanging out with us today. This is Electric People. Take these principles and go be electric.